We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight we're here to recap a Giants win. That's right, the Giants won another game. After that Bucks loss last week, it kind of felt like maybe this team was destined for a loss against the Eagles. They were underdogs. The line moved from three all the way to four and a half. Giants are four and a half point home dogs. But on the day they retired, Michael Strahan's number, Michael Strahan, arguably my second favorite New York Giant of all time. No offense to OC because he did jump on our show, but Michael Strand's the GOAT, and he was, I mean, as far as defensive player goes, nobody will replace Eli for me. But on the day they retired his jersey, they got him a win against our bitter rivals, a team the Giants, I believe, since I think Art Stapleton tweeted this, since 2012, the Giants had only won two games against the uh, Eagles prior to the to this one, one of them with Joe Judge last year. Now that's two in a row against this team that we hate, the Philadelphia Eagles. Team that was pretty hot coming into this game, albeit they did blow out two pretty bad teams. Obviously, the Saints are on the downward trend, but a win is a win. The Giants defense played out of their minds today. Four turnovers, four freaking turnovers in this game. Unbelievable. Two in the red zone, taking Eagles points off the board. Nick, how do you feel after this New York Giants victory? I don't feel good about the offense, which I mean, the Giants scored 13 points. And as you said, they had four turnovers. They didn't score any points off any of those turnovers. And some of that is circumstantial because one of the turnovers was an interception to end the first half, which is excellent. I mean, because how many times earlier in the season were we complaining about the fact that this defense just kept breaking at that part of the game? And here, Tay Crowder really just benefited from the fact that Jalen Hurts was reckless with the football there. I'm not really 100% certain what Hurts was trying to do, if he was trying to throw it away, if he was trying to squeeze it in. That was a really bad decision. And I think we mentioned – yeah, just terrible, man. And I think we mentioned it on the podcast, and I know I brought it up on Big Blue View as well in various spots. The way the Giants were going to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles was to force Jalen Hurts to throw the football. Well, 
They didn't necessarily force him to throw the football, but Nick Sirianni was like, you know what? I'm going to make this a little bit easier. And it seemed like the opening script and a lot of the earlier plays was more of a pass-centric type of offense. And then once we saw the Eagles get back to their running game is when we saw them start having success with their zone read game. But it seemed like it was maybe right. a little bit too late at that time. So I don't really know what Nick Sirianni was doing there because at the end of the day, they still rushed for over 200 yards on the Giants. I mean, in a lot of ways, like, let's let's be fair about this thing. I'm super excited the Giants won just because it was the Eagles. <laughs> I want to disrail this Eagles yeah, game. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like, yes, like, long-term, like, I am the biggest, not the biggest, but I am on team. Like sometimes these wins aren't as meaningful as they seem in the moment, but when it's a division rival, like the Eagles treaded, uh, trending toward where they were going with these last couple wins, which was towards the playoffs. It's good to knock them out, especially when like right now looking at that seven seed, it's the Minnesota Vikings standing at five and six, potentially having to miss Dalvin with Dalvin cook, potentially having to miss time, their defense problems with the defensive ends. Like that team at five and six in the seven spot seems pretty fluid. And the giants are four and seven with, which we'll go over in a bit, a pretty damn easy schedule moving forward. So like at this point, I feel even after that, like as rock bottom as it felt after that bucks loss last Monday, I do feel like after turning this thing around on a short week with Strahan in the building, retiring his number, having a defensive performance like this, trending to where this defense is at right now at this moment. And we're going to go over that too on the show. We'll go over the schedule coming up and their chance to the wildcard. We'll also go over kind of where this defense is at over their last month, month or so. It does feel like that to me, at least that seventh wildcard spot is up for grabs and the Giants could get there. And then, you know what? Honestly, I don't really feel like this team gave me any kind of confidence that they're going to make any kind of run at this moment. That could change. Things could maybe get better on offense. But as of right now, you can't make runs with an offense like this. But getting Daniel Jones, that playoff game experience is going to be good, regardless if they can if they can kind of fight into that seven spot. So, like, I did feel good about that. Um, so with all that said, and it's a great win. It does. I mean, you being objectively looking at this, Nick, it does kind of feel in some ways like the Eagles beat themselves in this game. They had four turnovers to the Giants. None. That's kind of what we've seen the Giants do at times, like last week against the Bucks with the turnovers and at times in the past throughout Jones's career with the turnovers. But in this game, the Eagles, to me, it felt like if the Eagles had come out with a game plan to just run at the Giants all game and really limit Hurts from a throwing standpoint, they might have grinded out a win here because the Giants don't win this game without four turnovers, in my opinion. I don't even think they come close to winning this game without the turnover. If turnover zero zero, the Giants lose this game in my mind. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not even just the turnovers, Dan, and I'm sure you might have touched on this in a little bit, but it was just the mistakes the Eagles were making and the yeah. close calls as well. I mean, Avante Maddox just missing getting an interception. Jalen Rager dropping at least three passes, two of them oh. being touchdowns. You had a another big drop pass from Greg Ward that would have been a touchdown that, you know, the two plays later, Tay Crowder came away with an interception. There were a lot of, you know, and, you know, ifs and all those kind of words. Yes, it didn't end up happening, but I feel like you have to take it into context. If you want to holistically look at the New York Giants right now. Yeah, the Eagles beat themselves today. Let's be fair about the situation. The Giants even played great. They made some key turnovers when it mattered, and they made some key stops, more importantly, when it mattered. Third down stops, you know, big stops. But in a lot of ways, this Eagles team beat themselves. It was a horrific interception by Hertz at the half that took off a minimum of three points off the board. It was honestly some pretty bad drops, like you said, by Jalen Rager, like really bad drops. And not just Rager. There was the one just before the interception that you mentioned as well. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of really 
big mistakes by the Eagles in this game. The fumble by Boston Scott. I mean, at that point in the game, the Eagles are going to be setting up for a first and 10 at the 40 with a full two minutes left. With some, I think they had some timeouts at the time. They had plenty of time at that point of time if they just get, you know, if Boston Scott just doesn't fumble that football. And great play by the Giants to knock it out. Great play by the Giants on all of these, the interceptions. I mean, some were more hurts making a mistake, I think, than others. Like, obviously, the Tate Crowder interception is a different look than the McKinney interception, for example. But you know what? In a lot of ways, the Giants capitalized on the other team's mistakes. And I feel like we've been saying the opposite for the Giants throughout the last two years. So, you know what? It is good to get a win like this. It's not It's not pretty. There's uh, The Giants aren't winning any awards for a win like this. But it's the kind of win that gets them to four and seven, drops the Eagles to five and seven, and gives them a chance. Like, you know, if they if they do end up beating the Eagles again in, in Philadelphia in their coming up game, well, now they might, you know, they're in a different spot than they might have been against the team that is going to be fighting ultimately for that same seven seed. Like, there's going to be a slew of these teams right now fighting for that seven seed. Yes. And the Giants are one of them, which is just insane, as you said, and makes you, it makes me angry. Looking back uh, earlier in the season at the Atlanta game and the Washington game, I feel like we bring this up often, so I don't want to beat the dead horse, but the season could look so much different if the Giants even steal one of those games and they ended up losing both of them. And yet here we are more well, more than halfway through the NFL season and the Giants are still being considered a possible playoff contender or they are a playoff contender and that's just the state of the nfc and the fact that the nfl expanded the playoff system to seven teams rather than six yeah exactly it's less so you know kudos to the giants more so <laughs> just the situation right now but we'll take it i mean like i said it would be good especially if we're still in the camp that jones can be the guy it would be good to see him get playoff experience it doesn't matter if this team has any hopes in reality i mean i as of right now i still think they do have some pieces of an offense to to put up better performances than they've put up since that saints game but it hasn't come to fruition yet. And, you know, as we go week by week by week and we get performances like this one on offense, it's a large sample size of, and it's harder to feel like this offense will come together. But regardless, it'll be good to get him that experience, especially if you can get him in a situation where, you know, regardless of how it happens, it might be a game like this one where it's 13-7. But if you can get him in a situation where you give Jones that chance to make that game-winning drive at the end, that's still what we need to see from Jones in my mind, those moments. It's still something we saw early on from Eli Manning kind of that it factor and it's funny i was had i just had a great thanksgiving with my family all of them are huge giants fans shout out uncle steve if you're listening to this one and and he and we were talking about it and he's like you know i know it's it goes against my nature all the logic in the world but i do believe in the it factor at quarterback he said and i and i, I hate to say it but i agree with him i weirdly do believe in the it factor as well like eli manning had the it factor he played some of his best football arguably played his overall his best football when it mattered most. I mean, even if you look at the game film and I talk about this a lot because I did go back and watch it. I think I watched it last offseason, not this past one, but I watched the film of that Packers playoff game, Manning's last playoff game in 2016. Eli was cooking that game, man. His ball placement in that game was phenomenal and they had no offensive line and he'd suffered from just some brutal drops from Shepard and Beckham, just like brutal killer drops that just destroy a quarterback and, and shake them to its core. And then obviously the second half wasn't as good for Eli in that game because Giants fell behind and the offensive line was trash, but he rose to the occasion in big spots. And I still want to see that from Jones. So, you know, even if they can 
just get the seven seed and it doesn't look pretty. And, and, you know, it's a couple more wins like this one. We'll go over why it's possible in a little bit because this schedule is really easy the rest of the way. It's straight up just super easy the rest of the way looking as it breaks down. And, you know, let's let's get we can get into that in a bit because we can start to talk about you know, things past this game. But let's talk first about all the things in this game. So first thing and most important thing I want to get your take on, Nick, was how do you feel like the Giants offense looked in its first game with Freddie Kitchens instead of Jason Garrett? We shouldn't have expected, and and I, I never expected, and I know a lot of people didn't, a, a new totally different offense because you're still working within the framework of what Jason Garrett had installed and all the kind of plays and the terminology that Jason Garrett has. You're not going to bring in on a short week, a new offense under Freddie Kitchens. With that said, we did see Freddie Kitchens, you know, and I felt like Jason Garrett did this too, but probably not consistent enough pass on first down and, and do things like that with stuff, stuff that we've talked about on this podcast, not be as predictable with your play calling. I think the, the flea flicker tight end screen was a nice little wrinkle because we've seen flea flickers in the past from Jason Garrett and we've seen tight end screens, but now let's combine them. And that went for 20 yards to help set up a field goal. And it also got Evan Ingram, one of your more dynamic playmakers into space with plenty of blockers. That was a really well-designed play. And I also love the fact that they, said, Kenny Galladay, we signed you to a $72 million deal. We gave you over $40 million guaranteed. When we're in the red zone. We're going to target you. And I'm not a big fan of fade balls, but hey, you have a, what, five, six-inch advantage over some of these cornerbacks. Target them. And you know what? The first one was excellent coverage by Darius Light. The second one was good coverage as well, but I thought Daniel Jones probably should have put the ball a little bit more inside. But I like the concerted effort that Freddie Kitchens had to get Kenny Galladay going because it's something that the Giants need to do. It's something that they have to do, especially when there's no Sterling Shepard, especially when there's no Kadarius Tony against the Buccaneers. That was inexcusable to have Kenny Galladay targeted twice. Like what the heck is going on there? So I also liked uh, to see that, but overall you still only put up 13 points. And I know Freddie kitchens would be the first person to say that is unacceptable. Yeah. For me, um, the Freddie kitchen experiment game one, I really liked what I saw at first. I mean, the beginning of this game, Kitchens threw the ball, and I think the first six or seven first down plays. And, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying, you're a bad team if you run the ball on first down. If you have a bad running team, and the Giants are a horrific running offense. They can't block, and they have a running back who is not very nuanced when it comes to picking the right holes and setting up blocks and maximizing his yardage in my mind. He's a home run hitting rack. Like we saw today, he had one home run and it didn't even go for the distance, but it was a solid home run. But, you know, regardless of that, it's a horrific blocking line. You know this. We're at week 12 now. There's no changing that. When you're a team that can't run block, you should almost never be running the ball on first down. In my mind, you should rarely be running the first ball on first down anyway. You're a bet. It's not a good down to run the football on. Second down's a much better down. And obviously, when I say that, I don't mean second and long. If you ran the ball on first and got zero yards, or if you threw an incomplete pass on first. Second and short or second and medium, that's when you can run the ball. Third and short, that's when I like running the ball. First and ten's not a great rundown. And early on, he did that. And then it was weird, Nick, because as the game went on and the Giants were in contention, because in the beginning, you know, it's like, oh, it's an early game. Giants don't have a lead. We can throw the ball. As the game went on and the Giants were in contention and you start to get to the whole grinded out nature of the Joe Judge error, we're kicking, you know, we're trying field goal attempts on fourth and three from the 51. We're making, we're punting in, in, in opponent territory. All the Joe Judgeisms. Well, then it got to the point where I felt like Kitchen started running the ball a lot on first down. And in general, I felt like his play calling was completely different from those that first uh, drive where they drove down for the field goal versus every other drive in the game. 
for the Giants until the end. That one drive at the end where they got Galladay going with two straight uh, chunk yard play uh, chunk plays. So to me, I thought the beginning of it was good. And then I was a little shocked that it kind of changed. And, I, and I, I'll be honest with you, Nick, I don't have any insight into this, but I do feel like this is not the game Kitchens would call if Joe Judge wasn't the head coach. I'll just say it out loud because it's kind of how I feel. I think part of this is Judge. I think part of this is what they want to be. They don't want to be an offense that turns the ball over in a game like this. And I totally get that. Turnovers would have hurt the Giants. You have a quarterback who literally leads the NFL in turnovers since 2019. No other quarterback has more. And so I totally get it. But you can't score points if you're not if you're playing that style. And it was the problem with the Jason Garrett era. And we all said, oh, it's Garrett. But it, it was it almost feels to me like it's Garrett and Judge because this game plan to me wasn't really great after their first drive on offense. And it didn't really show me much from a sense of I feel confident in maximizing points. And yeah, there's all the excuses. There's the offensive line. There's the injuries at receiver. But you have guys on the field. You have Thomas playing well. And to me, the offensive line didn't look all that awful with the exception of Solder today. And so I'll we'll have to see the tape to really confirm that or deny that. But it certainly didn't feel like the Bucks game where almost every play Daniel Jones was under duress. And so I don't know, man. I just felt like it got super conservative, the game plan on offense, after that first drive where they were throwing on every first down. Yeah, they like to run the football in the second half on first down. I mean, the first drive they did not. They threw a pass to Saquon Barkley, though, but it didn't do anything. It might have been a check down. That was to start the 10-play, 59-yard drive that was capped off by the Chris Myrick touchdown, which was just should have been the most simple touchdown you would ever see in your life, Dan. And he made it look <laughs> incredibly difficult. But this kid's from Charlottenham, Pennsylvania. Little Dickie's from there. I just Other than that, man, it was the uh, Darius Slayton end around, which lost like 13 yards, just totally blew up that entire drive. And then it was Saquon Barkley up the middle, one yard. And then it was Daniel Jones, uh, kept in himself four yards. That ended up in a field goal in the next three and out, which was the last drive by the New York Giants was Saquon Barkley left guard for one yard. It seemed like that was the the unfortunate result of almost every one of those first and 10 runs by Saquon Barkley, which is one yard or no gain. And you're right, man. I, I want to see a little bit more aggressiveness, and this could be a product of Joe Judge. It could be a product of all the turnovers from Daniel Jones. And I think Daniel Jones factors into this as well. And I think that's where it's an interesting, I don't want to say debate, but an interesting, I guess, interesting thing to think about. If the Giants don't fully trust Daniel Jones, what do you do in that situation? Do you want to consistently put him in a position to, to throw on first and 10? And if there is no, there is no conversion there, then you're in second and 10. And then you're putting more weight and you're just kind of weighing Daniel Jones down and weighing him down and weighing him down. But I think the argument, as you alluded to earlier, goes to the fact that you're not running the football effectively anyway on first down. So you might as well give the kid a shot on first and 10 to gain five yards to set up a second and manageable and possibly take a deep shot or possibly, you know, just keep moving the chains depending on whichever course of action you want to take. Do you know what I'm saying there? No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's not an easy spot for a coordinator, but you know one thing, and, and I'm not saying just saying a coordinator, because I do think this is partially Joe Judge's doing i'm just gonna it, it's too at this point there's too much out there that 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 shows me that or leads me in that direction and the thing we do know you have to just go with the stuff you know what we know right now is that this offense cannot run block they don't have the guys in there to run block this is not like last year where they came together around this time and started run blocking well and i don't know if that's because gallman was the back and not barkley i don't think that's the case i think they just kind of came together and they were blocking really well in the run game they were playing with continuity 
That's not the case right now at all. And it was never going to be the case against a tough Eagles defensive front. Today, the Giants average 2.7 yards per rush. No, sorry, 2.6 yards per rush attempt. 27 attempts, 70 yards. And 32 of those came on one play. So you take out the one play there, and you're looking at what? I'm so bad at math that I'm struggling with this, but it's 26 carries for 38 yards. That's what the Giants generated in this game. And this is not some kind of surprise. It shouldn't be some kind of surprise. And so if that's the case, yeah, you don't want to put your your quarterback in a position to, to turn the ball over, but you have to at some point take the training wheels off and figure out ways to generate yards in the pass game because it's so much easier to get five six seven eight in the pass game than it is in the run game right now for the new york giants that's not true for every team you know if you're talking about the ravens or you're talking about the cowboys or teams that can block well in the run game and pick up consistent yards in the run game on early downs it's fine for those teams to run the football it's not really fine right now for the giants to run the football if they want to score points a couple of variables that I wanted to mention there as well. The one thing that we should factor in is Darius Slayton did have a minus 13-yard rush that is factored in there. But what I feel like is even more telling is that 32-yard run by Saquon Barkley. Dan, he finished the game with 40 yards on 13 carries, and he had a 32-yard run. Yeah. Like, that is what the heck, man. That is like almost Saquon Barkley against the New York Jets in 2019 type of stuff. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, it was like that. And the, the Eagles front just absolutely dominated the point of attack. This should not be a surprise to anyone who has followed this team this year, the Giants, as far as the run blocking goes. It's not, you know, like I said, they they found a little groove last year in the run game. They were they were put that, you know, with the, with the G lead with the, with, the, with the power plays. They found some some success against the Seahawks. Like people talk about that game like, oh, that was the best defensive performance in Patrick Graham era. I actually think this one was because at least in that game. They had the run game going. They went for over 100, and Gallman broke off some big plays. In this game, there was, in my mind, essentially no offense by the Giants. Like, a few plays to Kenny Galladay that were nice. One run play by Barkley. A nicely scripted second drive that was probably partly scripted this week with, with like you said, a really nice call. The... um. The, the, the flea flicker screen, that was a huge chunk of the yards. And outside of that, they really just didn't move the ball whatsoever, really, in this game. They had a couple more plays that were positive gains. And so this, to me, was even more impressive by the defense because the offense did almost absolutely nothing for them to help them in this game. Um, but, you know, for me, man, it's just like I, at this point, I'm hoping that we see more from the I, – I expected a lot more from the offense today with Freddie Kitchens. I know it's not easy for him because he still has to operate at a Garrett system. But I did think he called an overall better game last year against the Browns in his one game than he did today. And that's not exactly how I thought it was going to be after that drive, that first drive where they threw the ball on five straight first downs. I thought it was going to be like, this is what I, you know, this is, it looked great to me. In that first drive, they had the second drive, because obviously they went three and out the first drive of the game, the Giants. But that second drive of the game where they went 11 plays, 47 yards, and kicked a field goal, obviously not perfect, but... It just felt to me a lot better. It felt like, okay, yep, Freddie Kitchen's going to help us unlock this offense a little bit. Like, we don't, I don't, so my whole thing, Nick, is that I don't feel like the Giants have to be this putrid on offense. I know there's a million excuses in the world. The offensive line, the blah, 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 the injuries, all the crap that we hear. But to me, it doesn't all add up to the most pathetic offense in, like, basically, like, we've ever seen, which is kind of what it's felt, what it's felt like for, like, five weeks now, or really the whole season. And two seasons in a row. I mean, they haven't scored 30 points yet in the Joe Judge era. That's not, that shouldn't be a benchmark. That should be something they can easily get to. And so to me, I just don't feel like it's like as warranted. And so to me, it just kind of feels like, I don't know. I thought Freddie Kitchens could unlock this offense a bit. I still feel like this, to me, man, I just still feel like this offense can be unlocked a little bit more. I guess that's the best way to describe where I'm at right now. 
I don't disagree with you, and I'm playing devil's advocate with this, but how much of Joe Judge's conservatism do you think is linked to his trust in Daniel Jones? And I think that, and that's a great question, Nick, and we have to start seriously not only asking that question, considering that question, and bringing it into all of our conversations about this team, because that's what I was going to go to next, man. Like, you know, can this offense be unlocked? That's a question. I think it can be more unlocked. But if it can't be, is that on the quarterback? I mean, the answer is yes. Like, straight up, when you don't generate a passing game for this long period of time, it's not just it's it's really not just coaching and offensive line play. Like it's just unfair and it's just very it's a def- to me it's a defeatist attitude when when people just fully blame it on that and just exonerate the quarterback. Well, we can't get a good read on him because this and this and this. Well, no, I mean, listen, he could have put that ball in a different spot for Kenny Galladay to catch that fade in my mind. That ball could be on his outside shoulder for Galladay to make a sick 50-50 catch that we've seen him make his entire career with the Lions. And when we watched that tape, man, how excited were we about Galladay when we watched that tape? I felt like we were getting a blue chip guy with Galladay. He looked like a blue chipper in Detroit. And you know what he never had in Detroit? He never had an offensive line. Their offensive line is now pretty solid in Detroit because they've been building it. But with the exception of last year when it started to come together, it was a really bad offensive line for Galladay's entire career. And yet he managed to be a big-time offensive player. They managed to generate a passing game through Galladay without having an offensive line. So what's our excuse? Like, what is our excuse for? I know he was more involved today, but the final stat line is three catches for 50 yards and no touchdowns again for a guy who we feel like is a blue-chip receiver. And so what's our excuse if the Lions are able to do it without an offensive line? I just don't – I'm running out of – you know, and let's get to that point now. How do you – did you think Daniel Jones looked today? I'm actually excited to get into the the film here. Cause what I saw from Daniel Jones, I saw a couple plays where the ball placement wasn't all that great, but I also saw pretty good navigation of the pocket. There were times where I felt like the pass rush was kind of closing in and restricting space, and he just stepped up, kept his eyes downfield, and delivered a pass to either Kenny Galladay or John Ross, a couple to Darius Slayton. But all in all, I, I still think there are plays that are being left out there, but I don't want to really assign my name to that quite yet because I don't exactly know what's going on on the back end because it's the broadcast end. So once we get to the All-22, I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, extensively on the All-22 podcast. Please tune into all of those. But overall, I would say it's not great. You scored 13 points. And I understand all the excuses. We bring them up all the time. I think there's a lot of merit to those excuses. But there does come a time where talent rises above the mediocre surroundings of your offensive line and whatnot. And now that Jason Garrett isn't there, there's only a one game sample size. I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh yeah, well he can't get it done here either. But one game sample size, you still only scored 13 points despite the fact that your defense came up huge for you. So I think it's something you have to keep in the back of your mind. And I'm excited to see the all 22 to really give a more in-depth analysis of, of what we actually saw there. Yeah. And we actually have a very similar read from the broadcast angle. I thought Jones showed massive improvement today as far as navigating the pocket thought he did an excellent job stepping up something that has become a big problem for him in recent weeks. Uh, Tampa Bay game was a great example of it at Kansas city game as well, where when he felt even a lick of pressure, he was escaping to his right laterally. And Daniel Jones, one thing he can't do well in my mind, and I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take up anyone on this is he's not a great thrower on the run. He can, he's a great runner on the run. Like he is actually a pretty good athlete as far as running with the football, but when he's rolling to his right or when he's throwing on the run, his accuracy wanes. And so you don't really want to get him in a position where he's escaping the pocket early because of pressure. 
You want to see what he what we saw today, which was him stepping up through the pocket and stepping up in the face of pressure and finding the spot to reset the pocket and then make the throw. So I thought that was great. I thought though I didn't I thought it was subpar ball placement from him today throughout the game. And obviously no big plays in the passing game again. No, no, really just at some point when you don't generate a passing game for this long, the quarterback has to be held accountable in some ways. I mean, we're talking about a team that hasn't even generated a functional passing game since week four at this point. Like some people DMing me today, though, I guess, or one person was replying like this is functional today. I mean, are we getting to the point where we're considering this a functional passing game? 194 passing yards. I mean, finally, they rose above the 4.5 yards per attempt mark, which they've been at the past two weeks. 6.3 yards per attempt today, which was a big upgrade over recent weeks in the passing game, actually. You still want to get over that 7.0 mark, though, for, for kind of a healthy offense. Some people say now it's a 7.5 with the rule change. You want to get over 7.5 yards per attempt. But, I mean, this is not functional in my mind. We I don't know if we can get to the point where we can accept this as a functional passing game just because it looked a little better this week. And so, at some point, I, I do think he should be held accountable. But, again... Just from the broadcast, we have a very similar take, Nick. I thought he showed good signs of improvement navigating the pocket, but ball placement issues to me were there again. Um, and obviously, you know, there weren't any shots down the field, so it's hard to gauge without seeing the All-22 if he had any opportunities or if this is kind of how it was called, what was available to him. But I thought the ball placement on the throws he was asked to make, and a lot of those were, you know, easier throws underneath, were, were, was not great, to be completely honest with you. There were some some throws that were really off in this game, in my mind, uh, from a ball placement standpoint, especially with what he was asked to do, in my mind. So worse on ball placement, I guess I would say, but better on the pocket manipulation. It's good, at least, that he's manipulating the pocket a little bit better, and I feel like he was able to stand in there and deliver passes uh, at, a, at a high rate, to be honest, to, to keep the chains moving. And it wasn't like it happened, I would say, all that often, but I did see it on a couple different occasions. But to circle back a little bit to the defense, man, we talked about the turnovers, but they were also getting pressure on Jalen Hurts in third-down situations. And then yeah. that also, we saw, I wanted to bring up this name to you, saw a decent amount of Aaron Robinson in this game and it looked he looked pretty legit. Now, would we be saying that if Jalen Rager came down with that touchdown that he should have came down with? Maybe not. But that fourth and two play where he got his hands right next to the catch point to, to force an incompletion. And there were a couple other plays where Aaron Robinson was near the catch point and just kind of sticky in man coverage. That's uh that's uh I, I would say a step in the right direction just because we've seen we haven't seen a lot of these younger guys make a huge impact where Darius Williams ended up getting injured. Ellerson Smith and Aaron Robinson were out for most of the year. You saw Zizo Jolari and Kadarius Tony just dominating when they're on the field. But now we're starting to see a little bit more Aaron Robinson, starting to see Patrick Ram trust him. What was your takeaways uh, on uh, Aaron Robinson in this game? <laughs> yeah, really good to see Robinson out there. You saw him kind of uh, play a little for Holmes after they tried Holmes out. Obviously, Holmes is not the, the guy you want on the outside. Dory Jackson injured. That one is one we hope won't be a long-term ser uh, serious one for the Giants because he, in my mind, in your mind, I think we talked about this last week, has arguably been their best defensive player this season. Uh, that's Dory Jackson. But it was good to see Robinson out there playing a bigger role and looking okay in that role. Like In general, I think the Giants had a really good game plan against Hurts, personally. 
which kind of played into it. Really good job today by Graham. To me, this was the best defensive performance the Giants have had in the Patrick Graham era. I'll stand by that. Just, I mean, given the fact that their offense had 264 yards of offense, I mean, we talked about, you know, there were a couple fun third downs for the Giants where I thought, you know, okay, Kitchens did something a little different than Garrett did to convert on third down. But the bottom brass tacks of it is the Giants went three of 12 on third down. That's obviously not good at all. And so they were really actually bad on third down and 264 yards of total offense in general. So defense was asked to do everything in this game, literally everything in my mind. And Robinson played a big role in helping them do that in the whole game plan, really. So, yeah, I like to see Robinson out there. It's good to see more talent on that defense. But I would talk about the main star to me on this defense, and I want to talk to you about him. It's Xavier McKinney, man, because he's starting to show signs of just elite level instincts in this in that deep half role elite level ability to break on the ball elite level ability to navigate the right angles to make plays on the ball he had an interception he almost had a second interception in the game late in the game that would have sealed the game where he really like his first interception was awesome he covered a lot of ground we kind of saw a similar interception earlier this season against the raiders but the second inter the or i'm sorry the almost interception the second play that was like the angle he took and the ground he covered to break on that ball, that was like Earl Thomas level to me. Like that was like a glimpse of Earl Thomas on that play. I got, I got to be honest with you, man. So I'm feeling really good about McKinney coming out of this game. Oh, same here, man. He plays the center field role and cover one middle of the field close so well. And Jalen Hurts on the interception, it was a first and 18 and it looked like Hurts was just eyeing down. Uh, I think it was Jalen Rager who he was throwing the football to against Aaron Robinson, targeting the rookie. It makes sense. And McKinney just knew it right off the bat. I can't wait to see the all 22 on that because, you know, watching yeah. on the broadcast, you can't necessarily see exactly what was going down, but I can just picture what Xavier McKinney was doing to put himself in a position. And it's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time we're going to see Xavier McKinney put himself into these types of positions. And this is going to, this is going to challenge opposing offenses to throw deep on the New York giants. When, you line up middle of the field close, you have one center field safety and you have a receiver who can win off the line of scrimmage against a guy like Aaron Robinson. It's going to challenge them to throw deep because that's what you want to do. You have your one-on-one -on -one matchup. Just try to look the safety off. Well, if that safety is Xavier McKinney and he's starting to develop more and more every week mentally, he's not going to be as easy to be looked off. Right? So a lot of play, a lot of quarterbacks might step back in the pocket and say, Hey, I got this one-on-one -on -one matchup. Let me just look them off and then throw. McKinney might not bite on that. And you lob up a pass like that, you have your cornerback beat a little bit. Xavier McKinney might be able to bait a couple interceptions. Like I think we saw on this play. But again, I, I want to see the all 22 to actually confirm that. But it looks like Jalen Hurts thought he had the one-on-one -on -one and that he could get the football there before Xavier McKinney would able, was able to use his range to get into position. But that just did not happen. And I am hoping that we have this true center field safety who can just cover so much ground with excellent range and just kind of, hey, we're in the middle of the field closed, but best of luck throwing deep against us if you don't do a good enough job to remove that middle of the field close safety from your actual destination where you want to throw the football because he's that good and that quick covering that's what i hope he can develop into and that's what's so exciting for me it's just the it's purely the x's and o's the schematics you know side of this when you have that middle field close safety and you can rely on him to cover that kind of ground and to take away and to be, you know, a safety valve in, in, in deep in deep half situations, but not only a safety valve, not only something you can trust to the point where you don't have to play too high, but also the point where he will make plays on the ball. And then, you know, in this spot, it's like Jalen Hurts is not going to attempt that pass where he threw the interception in my mind if the Giants are in a too high look. He's just not going to attempt that because exactly. they're in that look. 
he thinks he can have that throw. He thinks he can look it off. He thinks he's going to make that throw. And with McKinney out there, he can't make that throw. And that's the second time a quarterback has tried to make that throw against the defensive look the Giants showed and was unable to do it from Carr to Hurts. To, and Carr's actually a good throw over the football. And so what that gives you is one extra guy you can use in the box or to double team a receiver or whatever you want to do with that extra player from a schematic standpoint, it's such a huge advantage to have that deep half safety. And that's why I've been, you know, I called it a unicorn a while ago. We've been talking about this role for so long. And I was like, you know, when you find those guys, they're unicorn players because there's so few guys like, and I'm not going to say McKinney's there yet. I'm with you. I still want to see a larger sample size of it, but like the Earl Thomas, Kenny Phillips is of the world. Kenny Phillips for the injury. There's so few of those safeties. I think Winfield's like that a lot for Tampa. He made a sick play on the ball against Wentz today. Sick play on the ball. Um, Similar kind of, you know, awesome break on the ball. But, like, those true deep half guys are just so invaluable. They're they're unbelievably valuable to your roster. And so, to me, this this is probably the the biggest takeaway for me. I wanted to touch on something you mentioned, though, Nick. You said, and you were right, the Giants did a good job of getting pressure on some key third downs on Hurts. Why do you think that was today versus other weeks? Like, for example, like this Eagles line has been playing pretty damn good football. I know they've been a little bit better run blocking and pass blocking, but they've still been pretty solid pass blocking coming into this game. And the Giants have struggled against good pass blocking teams to get pressure. Today, the Giants were able to get pressure. Why do you think that was? On some of those situations, the Giants brought five. There was the one third and 10. I think they brought Aaron Robinson and might have been Julian Love on like a defensive back blitz. It was well disguised. It was well timed. And then they stunted. I think Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, but I'm not 100% sure if it might have been Austin Johnson. But anyways, and that forced Jalen Hurts kind of off his spot. He tried to keep his eyes downfield, and then they ended up, I believe, forcing him to just kind of throw it into the dirt, essentially. And then they ended up getting a sack on him in the fourth quarter by bringing a well-timed Julian Love blitz that just kind of messed with the protections enough to allow, I think, Aziz Ojolari and uh, Leonard Williams to just get enough pressure where Hurts kind of flowed into the middle of the pocket and ended up just getting basically sacked there. And then there was another third and 11 earlier in the game in the first quarter. It might have been the first drive of the Philadelphia Eagles where they actually dropped eight in the coverage. And Jalen Hurts saw an open rushing lane in the B gap. But Aziz Ojolari and Leonard Williams, they were playing contain and they knew that he was probably going to do that. So they just constricted the crap out of the gap and then just forced Jalen Hurts to try to skip around them. And by that point, because it was a little bit slowed and a little bit delayed, the linebackers rallied to basically tackle Jalen Hurts for like a one-yard gain. So he thought like, hey, I, the, the seas are parting. I could probably pick up 10, 11 yards like I've been doing against the Lions and like I've been doing against the Saints and all these other teams. But the Giants weren't allowing him to do that because they are aware this guy is incredibly athletic and will make you pay with his rushing ability. Now let's make him beat us with his arm, which is something that I don't feel Jalen Hurts can consistently do in the NFL. And he certainly couldn't do it today. The Eagles averaged 4.2 yards per pass attempt in this one, which, I mean, the Giants had done that in recent weeks, and they won one game doing that, but you can't win consistently at the NFL level, averaging 4.2 yards, 129 total passing yards from Hurts, you know, fewer than 50% completion rate, three interceptions, one sack, 17.5 pass rating. It was as dominant of a pass defensive performance as you'll see. Before we move on to the schedule, because I want to talk about that a little bit with you and their upcoming matchup, because I did see something interesting with the Dolphins today. I want to get your take on. I do want to talk a little bit about this offensive line, man, because I continue to see, and I've seen it on tape, man, and so have you. We talk about it every week, but I also see it on the broadcast. I see some really bad plays weekly by Nate Solder, and I'm getting to the point, man, where I just don't 
even understand why you would play Solder over Parrot at this point. And I don't like it, man. I really don't like it. There was a run play that Solder completely blew. And I know at, at worst, Parrot can do better in the run game. I'm not honest. I don't really, I'm starting to really lose faith in in their in the staff a little bit in some ways for playing Solder over Parrot at this point. And I, it's less so that. I don't care about that, whatever. The, the coaches know more than us. They're at practice every day, but... I just got to see Paradet there at this point. I, I I don't know, man. I'm losing. I don't, I don't like it. I can't stand to see Solder out there. It's, it's a, it's an emotional thing at this point. That's what it's tapping into at this point for me, Nick. Yeah. He's not a uh, consistent. He's not effective. He's not great. I don't, I don't think he's terrible as a run blocker, but he just lets people into his chest and he gets bench pressed off of them way too often. We see it. I don't even know how many times a game on the all 22. I don't really have an answer as to why it's happening. We've speculated, uh, as to why and in, in several podcasts recently and i guess i'll just i don't want to reiterate that because it's just basically they they trust him more than matt pair and he's the professional and they want that veteran presence on the line i don't know how much that is going to be worth if the guy is consistently getting beat i guess they do not view the gap between matt pair and nate solder as as wide as the fans do to be honest and like we've said and we want to be you know clear and objective here it's not like matt pair is necessarily imp- overly impressed us when he has been out there, but it just hasn't been as, as poor, as consistently poor as I think Nate Solder. I think that's fair. I think say. that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. I think that's it. Like it just hasn't been as consistently poor as Nate Solder. And when you add in the fact that you kind of want to see what the hell this guy's all about before we head into the off season, right? Like this is yeah. a second year guy you invested a top hundred pick on and you literally went into last off season saying, we're not going to make a single investment at offense tackle. The giants didn't make a single investment at the offense tackle position in free agency or the draft last year. In large part, we thought because of Parrot, because Parrot was ready on the roster. So then we kind of need to see it. We need to see him play out there. We need to see him get a lot more reps so we have a larger sample size to evaluate this offseason as we head into free agency in the draft and we try to figure out what the hell the Giants are going to do about this tackle position because we know they can't win next year with Solder starting again. We know that. Like, you don't win a Super Bowl when Nate Solder is your tackle. My opinion. I think if you put Nate Solder on the Packers right now and you told the Packers you have to start this guy the rest of the season, I think they're all out of the running for the Super Bowl in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think Nate Solder can be the starting tackle on a Super Bowl winning roster. I stand by that statement. And I'm not saying Matt Parrott can be, but at least let's see if he can improve. Like, there's still less bad on Parrott's tape. That's not like a ringing endorsement, like you said, Nick. But, man, (laughs) as we head into this Miami game, and Miami's coming off two good wins. Jalen Phillips had three sacks today. Phillips had three sacks today. Miami pressured Cam 23 times. They're starting to send blitzes. They're starting to send pressure. What have we said has killed Jones his entire career of late? Teams that decide to blitz him. Jones is not a good quarterback against the blitz right now. It's the brass facts. We have to unfortunately admit that because the stats show it. And if Miami's going to have a similar game plan like they had against the Jets and like they had against Carolina these last two weeks, sending a lot of pressure with Jalen Phillips obviously starting to play really good football, I would like to see Parrott out there and not watch another example of Nate Solder getting destroyed in pass protection. And so we'll see what happens going into this week, but it's going to be an interesting game for the Giants offense because Miami's going to pressure the hell out of them. And we'll have to see what the Giants can do to stop that. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the giant schedule. Now, before because, we get in this, before yeah. we get in this schedule, Dan, I, I think it's wild. It's just like, we, we talked about how this win was somewhat lucky and we don't want to devalue the win or anything like that. But when you look at this, man, the giants were up 13 to seven, right? And in the final two minutes, 
the Eagles legit were driving down the field. They force a fumble. Julian Love jumps on that after Dexter Lawrence forces the fumble. And then they go three and out the New York Giants offense, giving the the, the Eagles another opportunity to drive down the field in which they do, where Jalen Hurts puts a pass right into Jalen Rager's hands for a touchdown that he drops. Like that's a lot of lucky breaks right there. The Giants ended up getting to, to secure this victory. If we're going to kind of call a spade a spade. I mean, you're right, Nick. I mean, and we, we, we're not going to say it now because the Giants won the game, but this was very similar at the end of the game to what they did against Washington to lose the game by just completely sitting on the football and punting it back. Not at all trying to get a first down, just like they did against Washington in the game they lost. And one thing I said that podcast, and I stand by it, is that it's I'm about the process. I'm not about the results. It may work here or there, but over time, it's not going to work. And I'll stand by the other thing I said. I didn't like when they took. I'll, I'll say this, Nick. It was okay early, and we have a great kicker. It's fine. But in these cold weather games, man, 50-plus field goals are no longer a lock. And when you miss a 50-plus field goal, you give the opponent the football at your at their, at their own 40-yard line on a short field. So there is added risk to missing these field goals. And I'm just, I just don't like the president sets when you're fourth and three in opponent's territory and you bring on the field goal unit. I think you should be going for first downs. I think you should be going for touchdowns, man. And I stand by that. I didn't think this was a good game by Judge at all, in my opinion. He sat on the ball at the end. And he kicked that field goal in cold weather, which I didn't like instead of going for the fourth and three. I'll stand by that. Those are only two decisions I saw him make all game. So it's not like I have anything on the flip side to judge it off of. No pun intended. But, I mean, you made a point, man. Like, they sat on the ball again at the end. They, they, they gave the Eagles a chance that they didn't need to give them after that Scott fumble. Like, if you get one first down, the game's over. All the Giants need to do is get one first down. At least try to get a first down, right? At least try to win the game on your own instead of kind of punting it back and saying, let's not lose the game. And like you said, man, they almost lost the game, even though they gave the ball back with only 50 seconds and no timeouts. Jalen Rager dropped a pass. Like let's the ball went right into his hands at the goal line. Let's call a spade a spade. Fortunately for the giants this time, it bounced their way. We're going to hope they're going to have a lot more bounces their way coming the rest of the season, because as of right now, they're a team that needs to win this way. They need to win by dominating the turnover battle and having lucky breaks, because that's just all they've shown us to this point. And it's worked so far against the Raiders. It's worked so far against the Eagles. It's worked. I don't want to say it worked against the Panthers. The Panthers was kind of a dominant defensive performance. and The Giants generated a little bit of offense in that game. But, you know, now we head into the Dolphins in Miami. Then it's the Chargers in, in L.A. And the Chargers haven't been playing as good football as of late. Then it's the Cowboys. Then Eagles, Bears, Washington to end the season. These, you know, that's six games. The Giants could win three or four of these games, in my mind. If they play great football, they win the turnover battle, and they get some lucky breaks. And let's say they win four games, right, and get to eight, and I guess it would be eight and nine at that point. That could be the wild. In the NFC this year, that could be the wild card spot. It honestly could be. And I think a lot of it's going to be telling against Miami because Miami – Nobody's talking about it right now. They're one of the hottest teams in football. And they started the season, what, like one in seven or something. Then they played the Texans like, oh, yeah, we'll beat the Texans. And they're like, oh, well, they're going to get sacrificed to the Ravens on Thursday night football. They end up beating the Ravens like 22 to 10 or something like that. And then they beat the Jets because they're the Jets. And now they just, I don't want to say upset the Panthers, but they defeated the Panthers. And now they get another very winnable game at home against the New York Giants. So this is one of the hottest teams in football right now. Their defense is playing very, very good. They are a heavy man coverage team. The Giants are going to have to have a lot of man beaters in their offensive line. They're going to have to expect the blitz, man. They're going to have to have a lot of contingencies in place just in case they bring the pressure on Daniel Jones. It's going to be a telling game for the New York Giants, a telling game for Freddie Kitchens to see how he adjusts to what the Miami Dolphins are doing. And 
if he has play calls that will kind of take the pressure off of Daniel Jones. That's what I'm going to be really looking forward to against Miami. But I do believe the Giants have quite a few winnable games here. I wouldn't be shocked if if they won any of these games, to be honest. I wouldn't even yeah. be shocked if they upset Dallas the way Same. they're playing right now. Same. I completely agree. I think every game on the Giants schedule going forward, they could win or lose. Like literally we'll go into every single game as a to- not a toss up fully 50 50 or anything, but there's like a game they could win or lose. It's not like any it's not like, you know, the Bucks, a game they legitimately had no chance to win. They they could play that game 10 times. They're not beating the Bucks in any of those games, but none of those games remaining on the schedule that way. And it's interesting you said something about this coming up matchup and we'll, and we'll leave it after this. But. Heavy man team, right? Heavy blitz team. I remember listening to Greg Cosell after the Giants rookies, uh, Daniel Jones' rookie season and saying Daniel Jones impressed him most with how he could beat man coverage. He was bad against zone, but he could beat you in man coverage. This is a game where they'll be susceptible in man coverage in some ways. Like, show us again that you can beat teams who play heavy man and blitz you, Jones. Show us. Show us. I know there's all the excuses, blah, 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 blah. No, the offensive line wasn't that good in 2019. And you know what? A quarterback's expected to win sometimes without the offensive line, in my mind. Like, last year, the the Chargers didn't have a good offensive line. Herbert won. And he didn't win all the time, but he won sometimes. Jones hasn't won really at all in the passing game this year, with the exception of the Saints game. We need more than one out of every 12 games you win in the pass game. If you have a bad O-line, it should be more like three, four, five, six times maybe out of 12. You can generate something in the pass game. And against a man-heavy team like the Dolphins, this should be a good matchup for Jones. The 2019 version of Jones, this was a good matchup for him in my mind. And so I want to see something. This is a big game for Jones for me in this game. And I've been saying that a lot lately. But to me, Jones has been trending down ever since that uh, Saints game this season. And still the guy we're going to probably look forward to having in 2022. I don't really want to dump a pick on like a Kenny Pickett type. It's just not the type of guy I would, I, at that point, it's too much. It's, you know, you're not, I don't see it with Kenny Pickett really. And I'll have to, I, I can't really say that fully. I haven't watched too much of his film, but I just don't get too inspired by any of the quarterbacks in this coming class. But, you know, I'm then I need to see something from Jones and it has to start this week. Like they have to start generating a passing game. I'm kind of tiring of the excuses. And I know we talked about this already, but I feel like you're at the same point right now with the passing game in the Giants. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to show results, man. As we always say on this podcast, this is a results oriented business and you need, you need to step up to the plate sometimes. I, and this Miami game is going to be tough, man. It is because playing in Miami is always very, very difficult in this defense. As we said, they're, they're really coming together right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants defense really plays hard against Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. Jalen Waddle, who had an excellent game today. So I think it's going to be an interesting affair. I don't think it's going to be easy whatsoever. I mean, Miami is a much different team right now than they were five weeks ago. For sure. And obviously today we'll wrap up there. Great win by the defense. Great win by the Giants. Obviously a few good plays on offense, few good drives. Overall good team win. I mean, look, when you beat the Eagles, who are coming into this game on a two-game win streak, Anytime you beat the Eagles, it's a good win. The defense played phenomenal today. In my opinion, the best performance we've seen. And look, now we're looking at a defense where over their last five games, the Giants defense, they're only allowing 15.2 points per game with 12 turnovers, the Giants defense, in five games. That's crazy. I mean, some and this came, two, two of these games came against Brady and Mahomes. Like, it's not like they're just playing the worst quarterbacks like they were last year where they played that slew of backups. So kudos to the Giants defense. They've been dominant these last five games, and they haven't done it, and they've done it despite getting literally next to nothing from their offense. 
as far as time of possession, as far as scoring points to give them, you know, if, if, if you're a defense and your offense is scoring points, it's a lot easier when you go out there up 14 points because your team's putting up a lot of touchdowns. You can pin your ears back. You can rush the passer. Things get a lot easier. They're doing it without any of that. They're doing it with constantly being asked to come back onto the field after after quick punts from their, you know, from the, from the Giants offense. So kudos to the Giants defense. This was a culmination of a dominant five game stretch. Yes. You love to see it. You definitely love to see it. And uh, hopefully they can continue doing it because they have some matchups. I feel like the defense can definitely take advantage of, but now settle it on the gridiron, man, settle it between those white lines, bro. Let's see if the Giants can make a playoff push, which is just seems unfathomable to me right now, but Hey, it is what it is possible in the nfc all right thank you to everybody tuning in have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon spring is in the air at littleton coin company and we want to help you brighten your collection Visit us at LittletonCoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.